So let's get into today's message. I'm going to be honest with you, this, uh, this morning is uh, carrying on in the same way that this week has been. It's a little bit hectic. Uh, my wife is on call and she's just at the hospital, so I've got the two little kids running around here and uh, just together with, with everything that's going on, right? Like it's just, it's just a busy season. Summer is here. Um, so yeah, um, but I would appreciate your prayers this morning for our message or this message that I'm going to share with us out of Matthew. We're carrying on uh, out of the, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And uh, if you have not been with us, we are going through a series called The Good Life. And The Good Life, uh, with this series, its, its main focus is to ask the question, what does it look like to flourish in this life right here, right now? According to Jesus, because according to Jesus, the kingdom is in our midst. The kingdom is right here, right now. It is not fully uh, as we will experience it face to face with Jesus when either he returns or we die and are with him. But we are going to see today again another part of the Christian life that is focused on desiring God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And what that looks like. And so flourishing, according to Jesus, uh, looked like us working through Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, in which Jesus taught us, okay, what does it look like then in terms of uh, this kingdom? How do we inherit the kingdom? It is, it's the poor in spirit. It is the meek. It is the lowly. Those that are hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and Jesus walked us through to a certain point where he made a statement and he said, listen, I've not come to abolish God's law. I haven't come to take it away, but I've come to fulfill it. Uh, the law will not pass away until everything has been fulfilled. And we know that everything had been perf- uh, fulfilled by God through Jesus. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. But we know that that is an already part of the kingdom that has come, but it's not the fully kingdom established yet. It's not the fully one where we are now presently with Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying about the law being fulfilled is, yes, he fulfilled that perfect righteous law, the requirement of the law, which is perfection, sinlessness. It's not, it's not possible for us to do it so that in him, the Bible says, if we put our faith in him and his work on the cross, we might become the righteousness of God. And, and that word righteousness is something that I also want to touch on this morning. Because we, we listen to that and, and I think maybe in our culture today we, we use it and we talk about self-righteousness. It's basically when someone thinks that through their own working or moral standing they can be superior than, than others. But basically what the, the word righteousness means is to be in right standing with God. In other words, to have a relationship with God. To know Him. That is what Jesus is actually talking about. That is what Jesus came to do. And through the fulfilling of the law, fulfilling all righteousness, He is making it possible for people to be in right standing with God if they trust in what He has done for them. And so that was chapter 5. And then last week, We started with chapter 6, where Jesus is now taking us further into what it looks like then 
to live out this relationship with God. It's all about what does it look like to flourish as a disciple of Jesus, someone who knows Jesus, who loves and trusts Jesus. And, and that, is, that is the mark. That is what we are going for. But it is not about doing certain things again to attain God's love, but it is about God's love that has already been given to us through Jesus by the power of His Spirit, that that leads to an overflow that, firstly, we looked at last week, will lead to our hands being open to give through what we called alms and givings and offerings. And that included money, time, effort, clothing, shelter. That is a way in which Jesus says, hey, listen, this is, this is how you know that you're abiding in me. When you do these things, not to be seen by others, but because you're, you know that God sees you and that He loves you. And so that is kind of like the fruit that Jesus is looking for, right? And now the, the second one that Jesus touches on in our text today is once again a fruit of a living relationship with God. And it is the spiritual discipline of prayer. And so let us read from Matthew 6. I'm, I'm going to read verse 1 again, and then verses 5 to 15, and hear what he says to us about prayer. Now I'm reading verse 1 again because this is his first instruction when he, he starts off this chapter. He, he's, he's giving a warning to those who are listening. He says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So his warning first off is, Beware of how you live out your faith in God. Watch out for your relationship that you supposedly have with God through me. That it's not happening like in a, in a showcase manner. You're not trying to put something forward that is not truthful. And then our section here from verse 5 on, now we're going to look at what he says about prayer. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father 
forgive your trespasses. That's God's word to us this morning. Let us just pray before we unpack it. Yeah, Father, we just, uh, we just want to come to you as our Abba, as our Daddy, as our Papa, that we can come and, as your children, draw near to you and come and listen to your words. And yeah, we, we want to come and do that with a posture of uh, humility and just wanting to receive from you what you want to give to us by your Spirit. Uh, so, Father, I come and ask, come and lead us, come and help me. Uh, Lord, let, let the words that you have given me to speak, Lord, let, let it be empowered by your Spirit to come and do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, I think I've got it there on the slide. Sermon title is Spending Heaven's Currency. Spending Heaven's Currency and... Once again, I'm going to make three observations or three points. Receiving heaven's currency first and foremost, spending it through prayer, and then guarding your wallet. Guarding your wallet. If I were to ask you this morning, how, how are you doing with your relationships, your closest relationships? What would your answer be to that? Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, maybe, uh, maybe your fiance, or a boyfriend, a girlfriend, friends, uh, family, siblings. And if you were to give an answer to that, uh, what would you base that off? What what is the criteria by which you are able to assess whether that relationship is currently in good standing or it's it's going well? How do you determine that? Maybe there are some of you that can give me some ideas. How, how would you determine whether a relationship is actually going well? How would you assess that? Anyone? We're a nice small group. You can just shout it out. What's some criteria that you could use? Sorry? You feel unified. So there's unity. Okay? Any other ideas how you could determine whether a relationship is healthy or not? Communication, that's a big one. Woo! Help me, Lord, help me. My wife, she, that's the biggest thing between us, our communication. We figured out the other day, the problem with us is that our calendars are not syncing. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, any other, any other criteria that you can think of? Time, quality time. Okay, so time, quality time. Or quantity, the amount of time, that's a good one. What's that? Patience. <laughs> yes, George. <laughs> patience. Woo! We're touching on some big things here. Okay, so patience. <laughs> okay, these are, these are all uh, criteria that we know, uh, just very simply, logically, you know, it's not rocket science. We go and we measure and we're able to see whether our relationships are in good standing with one another and, and with people based on those things. Uh, is the time that we're spending a good quality time? Um, 
How about words and loving words and hearing those things? Now, um, I was thinking about it, and there was a there was a book that was written in 1992. Uh, many of you might have read it or heard about it by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. I think I skim read through it before I got married because John normally works his, uh, with uh, premarital stuff. John read everything, and I was skim reading. Uh, now, as we're raising kids, John is reading all the material. I'm skim reading. And, uh, but the love languages I got, it was eye-opening. But um, if you're not familiar with it, so Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote this book, and it was predominantly a book that was going to be used for premarital counseling or counseling uh, for, for married couples, but also just anybody in general. I think in friendships, it just makes sense. And out of that book, he summarized it, that there are five, predominantly five love languages, emotional love languages, through which we as people receive and feel loved. And those fives are, five are words of affirmation, so in other words, words that encourage the other Okay, here we go. Maybe I'll just use this the the whole message through. Here we go. Okay, so the the focus of that book was to to help couples, to help partners discover what their primary ways of giving and receiving love is so that their relationship that they can help their relationship grow uh stronger, long-lasting relationships. But then through that, establish kind of like what he calls an emotional love tank. An emotional love tank that you want to try and keep full. Uh, think about it in, in terms of like maybe it's like a love account. And so through these, um, through these different love languages, if you are able to establish what are the ways in which your spouse or friends are receiving love and feel loved, it is like you making deposits into that love account, keeping that investment account growing. Uh, compound interest on it, right? Like, so if you give your spouse flowers, it's like, bam, okay, that's an investment in that love account. And then you also included together with that, uh, you got the, um, some of those flower food, and that's extra bonus interest on that gift, right? And then it's a really expensive bunch of flowers that lasts the whole week, and your wife is like, wow, Rudy has gone, or, you know, my wife's gone, Rudy has gone all out. So it's, it's that kind of idea, because the idea is that you marry someone who is then confronting you, first and foremost, in this following way. Both of you are sinners. And so the thing is with, not just in marriage, but with any friendship, if it grows, the more you get closer to the other person, it's easier for you to see their sin. <laughs> okay? Because you, you get to know them intimately. And it starts like really irritating you. And then Jesus' words of like, hey, listen, before you see the speck in someone else's eye, first see the, the two by four, the five, whatever, by eight or whatever log that's in your eye. Okay? 
And so it's important then to understand that in marriage, but also in all relationships, to understand that, okay, both of us are sinners. We are on this path of becoming more and more holy in Christ Jesus, but we're still going to hurt one another. And that love account is there because with the fact that we sin and hurt one another, there are withdrawals made out of that account, unfortunately. Okay, the withdrawals are made. And what you want to do is you want to not go into overdraft. <laughs> That's a very, okay, you don't want to go into overdraft because overdraft is high interest. It means you're always fighting a battle to pay back the whole time. You're working really hard to pay back. Now, the, the question here this morning is, you know, what does this have to do with, with prayer, really? What does this have to do with my relationship with God? Well, the thing is, if you're anything like me, prayer time or praying or speaking to God can sometimes feel like, oh, man, it, it, it feels like it becomes a drag or like, uh, like a chore. And, I, and I, don't, I don't want it to be like that. Or pitching up for prayer meetings or prayer room, it, it's, it's something like, oh, okay, well, we, we've got this idea in our heads of what it looks like. Uh, we're most probably going to get together and, you know, talk for the first 30 minutes. And then we're like, okay, we'd better pray. And then we've got a list of stuff. And, and then we, we've got this thing in our mind of what it looks like. It's us rambling, uh, going through a list of things that we want God to do for us. But what if we approach prayer in a different way or light? That instead of looking at it as this holy discipline that, that should be, we should be looking to do and partake in with God, see it more as a, a means by which God has made a way for us to have communion with Him. But it is about then spending the currency that He has already deposited within us. And that currency is the currency of love by the power of the Holy Spirit. What if it is God, and through this prayer, as we will see, is, and, and one of, what I've kind of done here this morning is, I'm going to go through it and, and show us that through the Lord's Prayer, it's kind of like those love languages in which a way that God has made it possible for us to communicate with Him that it is the focus off of us so that the love that is poured into our hearts can be firstly be affectionate towards Him. We can focus it uh, vertically towards Him and then it flows out horizontally towards others. Instead of it feeling that, okay, we have to do this thing. And, and what if it's supposed to be that natural outflow then, just like a natural relationship with a real person because God is a real person. He is real. And if we then partake or practice it in that way, that we're actually partnering with Him and partaking with Him in the work of Him forming us in His image and likeness and Him empowering us to love others. But it starts first with loving Him. And what if we as a, as a church, what if... What if God's heart for us as the Rock Church is to only do one thing in this next year, and that is to pray? What, what would that look like 
if that happens out of a place where we're just loving God, we're just speaking affirmation to God, like we adore and we say, God, you are so good. You're so beautiful. You are gracious. You are compassionate. And that's all we do. We, for the whole year, when we pray, we focus on God. We pray the Lord's Prayer. We focus on God. Like the early church, that, how they prayed the Lord's Prayer three times a day. How could that transform our hearts firstly and our community? And so that's the question that I'm asking and the challenge that I'm, I'm posing to us, to, to dream about that instead of, you know, wanting to figure out ways that we firstly want to do and get busy. We, you know, we, last week we spoke about it. Okay, giving an alms, that is a, a given. That is what Jesus says is the natural outflow. But it's interesting that in this text, in this chapter, these three spiritual disciplines that Jesus touches on, giving, prayer, and fasting, prayer is right in the middle. It's in the center. It's as if Jesus is saying, listen, this is the, this is the center of it. If you want to have a relationship with me that flows out in the form of alms and giving to the poor, let me be the center. Let me be the focus. And if you want to have uh, an outflow out of your life where you sacrifice and you, you partner with me to take your fleshly desires and you crucify it so that you get your flesh to be an ally with you, through fasting, first focus on me. And so, that is what I'm going to walk us through here this morning. Are you ready? That was my intro. Now we have to unpack this. Okay. Receiving heaven's currency. Matthew 6 verse 1. This is just a short point that I want to establish. To receive heaven's currency, to receive what God has for you, to have a living relationship with Him means that you do not work for it. In Matthew 6 verse 1, he says, Beware of how you practice your righteousness. That your righteousness is a righteousness that you own, but you didn't possess it before. It is given to you. I just want to make that clear, that that righteousness refers to the relationship that you have based off of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. His blood that was poured out for your sins. And you putting your trust and your faith in Him. That is how you can have that righteousness. And that is how you receive the deposit. So by that first, receiving it, receiving God's righteousness, God deposits the greatest investment deposit ever in the history of the world, in God's economy. Romans 5 verse 5, listen to this. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen, I think that's the, the crux of the matter. Like having a relationship with Jesus means that I have the king of the universe within me, communing with me, living with me, walking with me, talking to me everywhere. How many of us live in that way every day? Like I don't. Right, like yesterday I bump into Nick and Jeff and they ask me, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, you're, you're, it's been a hectic week and oh, my kids are sick. And Right, like instead of responding, you know what? I have the Holy Spirit's love poured into my heart. I have righteousness. I am a new creation in Christ. I'm doing awesome. I'm living the life flourishing here in Squamish. How are you doing? Okay, how many of us respond in that way? I don't. And I hate it. I hate it that my first focus, my default mode is like, oh, yeah, it's so hard. Right? Come on. Like, I've become like soft in terms of like what I really think is hard life. 
But I'm living it, not focusing on what God has deposited within me and what he wants to do by the power of the Holy Spirit through me. So that is the first point. The first point is that we have received heaven's currency within us by the Holy Spirit. And then that moves us to the second point of spending. Spending this currency. What does that look like? And I want to look at prayer as a way of spending this currency. It's a way of living out this relationship. Jesus says this in Matthew 6 verse 4 to 8. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So people will love them for it. Ooh, look how holy Rudy is there at the ledge. People watching there through the, the window perhaps this morning, and it looks in a certain way. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask them. Or ask him. When Jesus gives this first instruction here, he uses when you pray. Three times, and, and then he gives us don'ts, again, of not how to pray. Okay, don't do it this way. He's basically saying, listen, you could try and look like the super religious guy that's gathering in your church building or, or your coffee shop or wherever, and, and you could go and do that. That's not wrong, but if your motivation is wrong, you are in trouble. Once again, you've got to check your heart, just like with giving. Or if you're maybe going to the extreme of standing on the street corners to pray, if your heart's not in the right place, you are missing the point. So the, the one don't is firstly focused on the religiosity of those who supposedly trust Jesus. But then he also says, don't go and do it like the pagans, those guys that worship many gods, the Greeks, the Romans. Don't go and do it like them where they ramble many words or they've got phrases. They keep on repeating, keep on repeating, and they click their fingers and they maybe do a dance and a chant. It's almost like Elijah that is taunting the, the prophets of Baal. And he's saying, listen, uh, with, with that sacrifice and they're trying to call down fire, he's like saying, hey, listen, you've you got to shout louder because maybe, maybe Baal, maybe he's asleep. And so Jesus warns us in that way, don't be like that, acting that it's a about you it's about your moves and what you say and and the specific words and phrases so he warns us don't be like those people but guard your hearts watch out for your motivation for why you pray and then he says when you pray go into your room shut the door pray to your father who is in secret that word secret in greek is crypto okay Go pray in that cryptocurrency that you have that's been deposited in your heart. Go do that. Some uh, older folks are going, what? what? What's a cryptocurrency? Don't worry. It's the currency of the future. <laughs> okay. But listen, when Jesus says that, it's kind of, uh, one commentary I, I read wrote, the commentator said that it's, it's hyperbole again because what's interesting is the majority of the houses in Galilee would have had max one, uh, max two rooms. Like the majority of them was like one room. 
And for Jesus to go and say, well, go into your room, go shut the door and go and pray. It's hyperbole. Okay, he's, he's making a statement that, listen, it's, it's supposed to be this intimate, private conversation between you and God. We know, for example, that Jesus had to withdraw many times from people and places to go and draw, uh, draw near to the Father in silence, in the wilderness, to go and pray in that inner room, that place where the deposit has been made in your soul. And the main emphasis is not that, listen, avoid all praying in public. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because we know that there are other examples in the New Testament. We know that the church comes together. There's public prayer. But it is, again, the motivation of the heart. An illustration that came to mind as I prepped this is that, in, uh, I think in 2018, a movie came onto Netflix, a documentary, American Gospel. How many of you have seen that? If you haven't watched it, it's, it was really uh, eye-opening to me. In many regards, but what it brought to light and revealed, I think, in this time was something very important, was the impact that the American gospel, this prosperity gospel has had on the world and on Americans, but not just Americans, the rest of the world and on the church through preachers and teachers and miracle workers on the streets that supposedly do God's work, but it's clear that their motivation is not for the glory of God. If you look at the private jets that they fly, the hotels they live in in, in Dubai, etc., etc., etc. Now, that for me was an eye-opener as to what it looks like then, in the end, to miss the whole point. To, to be at that place where I'm like, okay, I don't want to be that person standing in front of Jesus that Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, even though you did all of these supposedly good things in my name. But that, those are the don'ts. That's how Jesus does not want us to pray. We want to focus on what does he then instruct us? What, what should we do? The do's or the do. Well, first and foremost, I believe that we need to understand that, yes, prayer is this privileged means by which we communicate with God. Instantaneously, he is with us by his spirit. It's a challenge for us these days because what do we have with us instantaneously? We have our devices. And I believe our dependence on God or our communion with God has been hijacked by technology and specifically through internet and phone. Because if you don't know something, if you have a question you need an answer to, you jump onto Google. If you need to go somewhere, you've got your GPS. If you want to know what's going on in the world, like from an omnipresent device or being, go to social media. Social media is kind of like, for me, this counterfeit God. It's omnipresent, and it's got its fo- eye on me. If, if, if I post something, the whole world knows about it, okay? As if it's God. And so prayer should actually be that focus, that that is the real deal. That is, I have a relationship with a living God within me. And so God wants us to pray with that sincere heart and out of a place and in a specific way. And it's not about a pattern or specifically sticking to the words, but I believe still that it is very powerful. If Jesus has commanded us to say, hey, don't be like these religious guys that do it in this way and don't go rambling and and pray with many words, but he, he gives us a prayer with few words, then I want to trust Jesus that there is 
power in trusting Him that what He has given us. So let us walk through the Lord's Prayer this morning, and I'm going to do it in this way. I'm going to break it down in all into the different sections, and then I'm going to give it kind of like a love language, which I call a love expression. A love expression. The first thing that I see there in the Lord's Prayer, love expression number one, is that it is words of affirmation. It's, it's words that we are giving to God, that we adore Him, that we love Him, that we trust Him. Jesus says, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It is starting that conversation with God to say, Oh, Jesus, just thank you for a new day. Jesus, thank you that oh, my kids are still asleep and oh, I can have just this quiet time with you. And just thank you for this place. Thank you for Squamish. Thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for our church. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my kids. God, you are so good. And that's the first focus of Jesus in that prayer. It's like by thanking him, that's, that's glorifying his name. And then telling him how good he is, how faithful he is, how gracious he is. It's kind of like my relationship with Miriam. Miriam is very quick to want to just come and run to me or they want, she wants me to do something and give her something. But then I, I first say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just come, just tell dad. Dad, I love you. And she's like, oh, I love you. Say, I say, dad, you're the very best dad. Oh, dad, you're the very best dad. Dad, just say, Dad, you're my only dad. Oh, Dad, you're my only dad. Okay? It's almost that picture of, it's not as if God needs that. He's not insecure, but he knows that, hey, listen, we're anxious. We're after things, running and needing things. But he just wants to settle our hearts to say, hold on. Do you know whose lap you're sitting on? (laughs) I put the universe in place. I've spoken into being. Calm down. Just come and talk to me and just remember who I am. I created you. I'm your daddy. And that is the first focus. That's the first love expression. Second love expression is an expression of surrender then. Surrender the control because that is what we want. We want to be in control. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Expressing that into words, God, you're in control. I need you to move. I need you to do the things that you have called me to do. Your kingdom come, your will be done is surrendering and saying, God, I cannot do this by myself. I cannot change this person's heart. I cannot accomplish this mountain that needs to be climbed. I need you to move the mountain. You said if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, I will say to this mountain, go jump in the sea. Lord, I'm trusting you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Come show me that. And it's that place in section where we trust God for His perfect will. And it brings such peace. Because if I pray that, it releases that duty off of me that I I place on myself to think, okay, I need to make it work. And I'm talking about this in experience. Like lately, I'm trying to really make things work that is not working. God is just saying, "Uh uh-uh, I've had enough of you trying to be in control. And so that's a love expression, number two. The third one that I see then 
is an expression of dependence on God to then provide. Give us this day our daily bread. It is then us taking the deposit that God has given in us through His Spirit and not spending it on our our own needs, but saying, God, you are the one who's deposited this within me. You are the one who provides for me. I trust in you daily. Give us this day. So it's an indication again of asking it daily. Jesus, help me. Sustain me. This is the basic needs from food, shelter, work, to emotional needs, whatever the needs are. Third love expression then, and then it gets deeper as we are praying this. Now, this is where Jesus wants to to now place the emphasis and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's fascinating for me that in the Lord's Prayer, this is not at the start. Our God's requirement, if we are His children, is not to first come and say, okay, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry I did that. And then he's like, okay, now that you've said sorry, I will listen to you. But he first takes us through this process of acknowledging him, affirming him. You are God. You are in control. We depend on you. And then it's like, Daddy, I've done some bad things. I was thinking about this memory when I was maybe five years old. My father was in hospital. He was uh, for psychiatric reasons. He was bipolar. And he was away for a, a while. And my brothers, we were, we were five kids. I'm the youngest of five. And so they were at home. They're looking after me. And we're playing cricket in the backyard. If you don't know what cricket is, it's like baseball. You've got a bat. You hit the ball. Okay, you try and hit it as hard and far as possible. But I was like this little brat. Uh, I, I didn't want to stop batting. I just wanted to bat the whole time. And they would bowl me out the whole time. They would catch me. And I would get so cross and scream. And then after about the fifth time, I took the ball. I was so mad, I threw it through the window. (laughs) Cracked. And then later that evening, we had a conversation with our father over the phone, and and I was talking to him. And it was so in my heart that I was so worried. What was daddy going to say that I had broken this big window? But you know what? The whole conversation from start to finish in the beginning, it was all about me just being so so thankful to hear his voice on the other side and, and loving him and telling him how much we miss him and just hoping that it will get better. And then I got to the point where I was like, oh, and, and daddy, th- this is what happened to the window. Are you mad? And he just said, no, don't worry. We'll, we'll fix it, but it's okay. And it's that picture of if we know who we are in Christ, and what he has done for us, we, we come confessing our sins with confidence that he already knows, right? Like he knows. He just wants us to come clean and be like, okay, it's all right. Let's move beyond this. And that is what I see there, that love expression. Being open and honest to him, with him. And lastly, he then leads us and says, with a love expression number five, asking for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus tells us to ask God to help us and protect us against the temptations that, yes, will come, either from outside influences, but mostly 
from the fact that we have our flesh that we're still battling with until we meet Jesus face to face. Jesus says this in Matthew 26 verse 41 to his disciples, his three closest disciples that were with him in the garden of Gethsemane. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. They couldn't stay awake. Their flesh was weak. And Jesus says, watch and pray. Jesus says to us, listen, trust me, help me to protect you from the temptation, but be watchful. Be watchful. In conclusion this morning, the last point that I want to make, it's fascinating again in this passage how Jesus brings it back to this issue of forgiveness. And under guarding your wallet, I mean by that is guard your heart. To guard your heart where the deposit of love has been made, we need to be aware that that is where the attack is from the enemy. To, to attack us on our identity, who we are in Christ, so on what we think about ourselves. But then in that area where the deposit has been made, because forgiveness and unforgiveness affects that. It affects our spinning patterns. It blocks the spinning of God's currency where he wants it to be spent. In the last two verses there, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And it reminded me of the story in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is attending a, a meal at a Pharisee's house. And there is a woman of the city, most probably a, a prostitute, a woman of the street. And she is there and she brings her most precious gift. She brings this alabaster flask of ointment. She breaks it and she anoints Jesus, his head, and, and she wipes his feet with her tears. And, and these religious people are... Indignant. They're like, wow, this could have been sold and we could have given it to the poor. And, and why, if this man was really a prophet and a man of God, he would know how sinful she is. But then listen to this. Jesus tells them this parable in Luke 7 verses 41 to 50. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt, debt, sorry, debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon, this is the Pharisee, answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who can even forgive sins? And he said to the women, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'm going to conclude with this, that story. 
The irony of it is, when Jesus says, He who has been forgiven little loves little or doesn't love much. But he who has been forgiven much loves much. All of us have been forgiven much. The Pharisee that sits there and thinks, well, I've been forgiven so very little. If that is you, you are actually being self-righteous. And I think the crux of the matter is what Jesus is trying to get to in this last part of the passage. If we do not forgive others, it means we do not grasp how much he has forgiven us. How much has he forgiven you? How much grace has he shown you? Heaven's currency of love is not about just forgiving those who abide by the rules and and do everything that we think is right. It's about dispensing it and forgiving even if it is unbearable to think that I need to forgive that person. Because I feel in our lives this is such a big part. If, if we just hold a little bit against someone else, it creates that blockage that does not help our relationship with God to flourish.